Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> you know, I, 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 there is a Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon, c'est le dégât. Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. Stanley pour les Canadiens. Le match troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. It's going to be sick. Good Friday evening, everyone. My name is Matt O'Han, a.k.a. The Hebrew Hammer. I am back on Friday nights, but it's not my grand return. If you missed the Tuesday episode of the Sick Podcast, I was I made my grand return after three weeks off then. Uh, let's get some business out of the way. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group, who has recently been named by Deloitte and CIBC as one of Canada's best managed companies. The, uh, the country's leading business award recognizes innovative and world-class companies. The best managed Canadian companies de- designation fuels energy's purpose of creating progress for our customers, our employees, and our communities. Join a winning team. Check out Energy's career page for available opportunities. Also brought to you by La Beta TV, brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards. La Beta TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Beta TV, embrace your true nature. And by XL Moto, they are the premier motorcycle and scooter dealership in Montreal for over 20 years. Our dealership carries seven different motorcycle and scooter brands. We are the number one Apria and Piaggio ambassadors for the last five years. XL Moto, your ultimate destination and best customer service experience. I don't know if you saw this, but Tony uh, last night mentions that he wanted a uh, Vespa scooter forever. Well, what does he do today? He posted it on his Instagram. Guy goes out and buys a Vespa scooter. Thanks to uh, XL Moto. Just really unbelievable that Tony Marinero. He gets uh, he gets a, a pretty good paycheck from Sammy and Yellow. I'm sure that he's able to just do that at the drop of a hat. I'm not jealous. It's okay. It's fine. Um, also, uh, Sammy, put up the uh, put up the event that we have going on this weekend. So this is really special. So at Sports La Tornade, um, you know, one of our proud sponsors, we have an event. It's going to be on Sunday. And you can meet Caden Gooley, Yvonne Lambert, and the rest of the SICK team from 1 to 3 p.m. That's Sports La Tornade in, I think it's in Vaudreuil. I was there once. I got a great gift for a friend for gift exchange. So uh, just uh, make your way out there. There you go. The uh, the the address is right there. Uh, it is in Vaudreuil, so I was correct. Um Make your way out there. Meet Caden Gooley, Yvonne Lambert, the rest of the sick team. Tony will be there. I uh, probably won't be there because I just uh, 
heard about it about five minutes ago when Sammy Nanello told me about it. So uh, my invitation must have got lost in the mail. Uh, anyways, okay, speaking of Caden Gooley and the Habs, uh, we're not going to kick things off with Caden Gooley, but we are going to kick things off today with our usual Friday suspect. He is from the Montreal Gazette. His name is Stu Cowan. Stu, how are we? I'm doing very well. Yourself? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. The weather is finally, uh, after kind of a crappy week we had last week, it took a complete turn. Uh, it was a little bit cooler at the beginning of the week, but now we're going to, we're, I feel like summer is in full swing. Yeah. In about three days, we'll be complaining. It's too hot. So <laughs> typical Montreal. Summer. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, exactly. I can't wait for that where I step outside and I go, Oof, I got to go back inside. I just can't deal with the heat. Um, oh, well, you know what you, you and, uh, you and, uh, and yellow were talking, uh, before the show about your pools that you have uh, yeah. what's this so what's this i hear about 70 degrees being too cold well it, it, mine's probably lower than 70 because uh i okay, haven't, yeah, I haven't looked cold. at the thermometer but just putting it's been ready for about a week and just putting my hands in the water at night when i'm putting chlorine in that it's it's pretty cold but uh i don't like it too hot 70 is not too bad for me so I'm I'm I don't I'm not a big pool guy, but I am a big lake guy. Uh, are you like you jump in a lake every now and then? Like, what's the because like I'm trying yeah. to gauge what your temperature tolerance is. Well, no, so I, I mean my pool's in the backyard. It's above ground pool. It heats up pretty quick on a hot day, so there's times I need to pump water out and put the hose in to cool it down. I like it in the 70s, 72, something like that. But when my kids were younger, we used to rent a cottage every year in Ontario, right on a lake, and it was just magnificent. The lake, the water was beautiful. You could swim out 20 feet. You could still see the fish swimming below you. Uh, I miss those days. Oh, that was yeah. a lot of fun when my kids were younger. Well, that's uh, like I go to my friend's uh, my friend's country house over in Lantier every summer. We go you know, not every weekend, but close to it. Mm -hmm. And just whenever we sleep over, it's, we, we don't wake up with a coffee the next morning. We just jump in the lake. That's what we call, we, we coined the term Canadian coffee for that. Uh, if I ever, if I ever win the lottery or make as much money as Tony Marinero, I'm going to buy a cottage on the lake. Yeah, and then you could travel to it uh, on your Vespa scooter that you're exactly, able to buy. Exactly. Just that's a drop of a hat. Exactly. All right. Let, let, let's jump into things. Uh, interesting. You know, I just thought of this today because I, when Sammy and Yellow were texting me, oh, I have some topics prepared. Uh, you know, the first name that came to mind was Nick Suzuki. And then I was watching TSN today and uh, they were talking about the double IHF tournament. And I said, no, nah, we're not going to go. Uh, we're not going to lead off with Nick Suzuki. We're going to lead off with someone else. And uh, that guy is Samuel Montembeau because he is just mm-hmm. having an unbelievable tournament for Canada. And, you know, he was coming off a pretty darn good year for the Canadians um, in the regular season, all things considered. Uh, so I guess my, my question is very, very simple. Let's, uh, let's dive into this together. Uh, do you think that Samuel Montembeau can be the goaltender of the future for the Canadians? It's the way it's looking right now. It's a definite possibility. I mean, the way he's, you know, he had a save percentage over 900 on a team that struggled in the defensive zone. Uh, he's played really well at the world championships. Obviously the level of play is not as high as the NHL, but it'll definitely give him a confidence boost, especially if Canada can win the gold medal over the weekend with him in goal. So at this point, he's 26 years old. Goalies are weird. Uh, uh, I mean, in a good way, they just, they are, they're a different <laughs> breed. Anybody who's willing to stand in front of a hundred mile an hour slap shot is not normal. Uh, but the thing that Montembeau has that really helps him in Montreal is just, he's so calm. He's just so calm and cool. Nothing seems to bother him. Nothing seems to phase him. You talk to him in the locker room. He's always got a smile on his face. He's just, it, it's, and that's so important, especially in the Montreal market. Uh, you know, the Kieran Carey Price, I mean, how it got to him at times. 
you know, I'm saying he was afraid to go out and do groceries because he couldn't get away from it. Uh, but from Montembeau, he's, he's just, he's, he's calm. He's played really well. Uh, you know, he struggled last season. One of the reasons was the injury he had uh, to his wrist that needed required surgery after the season on his blocker hand. He was healthy this year and he played really good. Is he ready to be a number one goalie? I think we're going to find out more next season because I think they're going to play him a lot more. Uh, he has one more year left in his contract at only a million bucks, which is looking like a magnificent signing by Kent Hughes last summer, the two year, $2 million deal. You know, he hasn't had that, he hasn't started a season as the number one goalie. I think he might next year. I think he'll, he's going to play a lot. I don't, I think Jake Allen will stay there. I mean, they got to decide what they're going to do with Caden Primo too, because if they send him to Laval, he's got to clear waivers. I don't know what the interest would be on him on waivers, but you'd have to think there is some. Uh, but I think they start next season with Montembeau as the number one goalie to see, because they got to find out. I mean, Jake Allen's not their goalie of the future just because of age. Uh, he's a good veteran to have there to help Montembeau, and he has helped Montembeau a lot. He's enjoyed the role of helping Montembeau. He realizes one of the great things about Jake Allen is he realizes what he's here for. He knows he's not the goalie of the future. He's a really good veteran. He gets along with Montembeau well. Uh, he's sort of like another goalie coach for him. Um, so right now, it looks to answer your question, it's possible, uh, but we'll find out more next season as I think the Canadians play him more and use him in more of a number one type role to see if he can handle that. Yeah, you know, I I, I, I very much agree that this uh, determination is going to be made next season. And, you know, we, we've said it before earlier in the year. He's such an easy guy to root for. Samuel Montembeau is, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it started with two years ago, you know, the, the kind of weird. It wasn't exactly the COVID year, but it was like Canada was still in COVID and it was like the States yeah. had put it behind them. And, you know, he's injured. He had that wrist injury and he's still going out there every night. He's still mm-hmm. battling and, and no complaints from the guy. Um, so he's certainly earned it in the respect that he's put in the work, um, at least earned the chance to prove himself. Uh, what I always say though, is, you know, this year it was kind of, again, kind of weird because Jake Allen kind of suffered from the injury bug, but to me, it's always, it's, it's one thing to be a good backup goalie and, and, you know, you get your good starts, you know, you play once every four or five, six games, whatever the case may be. That's one thing to put a quality start in every now and then, but to do it night in and night out is, is, is something completely different. But I mean, Hey, he, he looks like, you know, an unbelievable goalie, right? He is probably the best goalie in the turn in the double IHF tournament right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, I, I really, uh, I hope this pans out for the Canadians because that would just make Kent Hughes's job just that much more easy going forward in rebuilding. Well, and, and goalies developed later. I remember years ago, uh, I covered a Team Canada game against the Russians in Granby, and Ed Belfour was the goalie for Team Canada. No, I didn't know who Ed Belfour was at the time. And I remember he played great. He stood on his head. I remember after the game interviewing him, and I can't remember what round the Blackhawks had drafted him, but it was two or three years earlier. And he was telling me, you know, I still believe I have a future in the NHL. And, you know, the Blackhawks told me that they, you know, they haven't given up on me. I remember doing the interview and leaving and thinking, yeah, right, buddy, you know, <laughs> it's not going to happen for you. Uh, but it did. He became a Hall of Fame goalie. So I'm not saying that Samuel Matamo is going to be at Belfort, but there's an example there of a guy who developed later on and went on to have a heck of a career in the NHL, a Hall of Fame career in the NHL. So uh, with Montembeau, again, it's, it's, he's 26, which is young for a goalie. Uh, he's been through a lot. Uh, you know, there's no more pressure-packed position in hockey than being goalie with Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and he's handled it well. And as you say, he, he's he's a fun guy to be around. He's sort of, he comes across as maybe a little bit shy, 
uh, when we're dealing with the media. But I think he's just, he's, I think he's more he's just quiet and he's, he's quite mm -hmm. funny. He's got a good sense of humor and his teammates really like him and he battles hard. So it's, it's as you said, I mean, Kent Hughes, one of the reasons I think Kent Hughes gave him the contract last summer is because they did throw him in there when he was injured because they had nobody else to play. And he played through that painful wrist injury. And I think they rewarded him in a way by giving him that two-year, $2 million contract. But now it's looking like a brilliant move by Kent Hughes. And the question now is going to be, does Kent Hughes try and sign him to an extension this summer? Or does he wait going into next year and see how he plays? And does Montembeau want to sign an extension this summer? Or does he prefer to wait and see how he plays next year and maybe increase his value? So that's going to be something to watch during the offseason just to see how Kent Hughes handles that goaltending situation. And uh, and what and even with Jake Allen, is, is he going to look to move Jake Allen before the season starts uh, to try and keep Caden Primo and sort of the backup to Montembeau? Uh, so there's a lot. There's going to be a lot of interesting things to watch with the Canadians uh, this summer, and that's one of them for sure. Well, you know, and the thing with Montembeau that that struck me is exactly that. What you mentioned is it's the number he comes in at. You know, a million dollars. That could well, after be you, after you were paying ten million dollars for your goalie before. Yeah, well, that's it. And but that could be a real key to the Canadian success because you know <laughs> I, I think as we've seen in the playoffs this year, you know, yeah, it's the big names that are stepping up in uh, you know in Sergei Bobrovsky and before this round in Jake Ottinger, who looks like he's going to be a superstar in this league for years to come. You know, it's. It could be anyone. Like, really, the goaltender, you just need a hot one in the in the playoffs. Like, the people have been saying it forever, but, like, I feel like, you know, with in Montreal, we've been dealing so much with the, oh, just get into the playoffs. Carey Price is going to do his thing. You know, this is what we pay him for. Well, I, this is really, you know, you see what Samuel Montembeau is doing yeah. in the IHF tournament. Granted, it's not exactly best on best, but still, you know, yeah. he's getting paid a million bucks that leaves a lot more space to construct your team the way you want it. Not, not to say that he's going to sign long-term at a million per year, but you'd have to think that the number is less than 10, right? Well, Vegas, I mean, Vegas has used what five goalies this year or something. Yeah, it's, well, that's it's, it. it's crazy. You see a goalie gets high, but Brofsky, who, you know, I don't think moving forward, there will be other teams building a team around a $10 million goalie. Uh, but Brofsky's playing like a $10 million goalie in the playoffs. after oh, yeah. losing his starting role during the regular season. Again, it's the goalies are weird. So it's, um, but you know, this Kent Hughes look to try and get Montabo to sign maybe a three-year deal at three million a year. Uh, if he did that, and he turns out to be the number one goalie, that's a hell of a deal. Um, but again, does Montabo would Montabo jump at something like that, or would he prefer to wait and see if he can get more? So it's it's, it's going to be interesting. Negotiations are always interesting. Uh, uh, during the offseason. And, and it's interesting to see how Kent Hughes handles this one. I think they'll start the season. I don't think they'll sign him during the offseason. I think they'll wait to see how things go. And if he, things go well, uh, the Canes will probably look to, to sign him to an extension at some point, maybe midway through next season. Yeah, and you know what? That would just, you know, be even, even a bigger boost to his confidence. You know, like, mm -hmm. in the middle of the season, wow, this team believes in me. They, they've basically handed me the net. And, uh I don't know. I think uh, from what we've seen, especially this year, like it's it's one of those things that he's kind of a very well kept secret uh, in a way because you know if if the the average fan you know is going to go look at his numbers and they're gonna, like the, if you're a Team Canada fan and you're not a fan of the Canadians, you're going to go look at his numbers, and be like, who the hell is this guy? Why? Yeah, he has a three. He had the best goals against average of his career this past season, yeah. and it was three point four two. 
or sorry, yeah. he had it a couple of years ago in Florida, but a way bigger sample yeah. size this year. So but, I mean, it goes against the average over 900 on a bad defensive team that finished. Well, that's it, right? Yeah, it's, it's not too bad. The stats, <laughs> the, stat, the stats don't exactly show that the uh, that the Habs were fielding a or icing, I should say, a AHL team for like more than half the year. So, and I know one of those analytics stats is high danger saves, and I know he ranked really high uh, in in that. Also, that was another key thing for him. The thing, you know, as I mentioned, playing goalie in Montreal is different than playing goalie anywhere else. And Montembeau has a leg up in that. Just he knows he knows what it's like to be goalie in Montreal. I mean, he hasn't had it with the pressure of making the playoffs. You know, they went into this past season. Nobody expected him to make the playoffs. They didn't expect to make the playoffs. So it was not, not the same pressure that would be on him on a team, you know, a couple of years into more into this rebuild when they're hoping to contend for the playoffs and maybe a Stanley Cup. But at least he understands everything that comes around with being goalie of the Canes, including dealing with the media and being recognized everywhere you go and just the pressure of being a Montreal Canes goalie. And he's handled it really well. And as I said, he's just he's so calm and cool. And to me... You know, if I was putting down a list of things I'd want as a Canadian's goalie, if I was a GM, obviously talent's at the top of the list, but near the top would be common cool, somebody who can handle uh, the pressure of playing in this market. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see. It's just a great story to be following if you're following the uh, the World Hockey Championships. It's just he, he basically you know like yeah canada won four to one but he really backstocked them uh, yesterday against finland so uh let, let's move on to another contract talk i'm sure uh you know everyone's uh just loves hearing about this as uh, as does uh, i'm sure canadians the the actual canadians do love hearing the media talk about it even when there's no news on the horizon which is cole caulfield's uh contract uh so you know, Darren Dreger said it uh, or said it earlier today or earlier this week, whatever it was. I can't really keep track of time, uh, which is just there's no news. There's really no news to be reported. Um, I don't know. I, I, is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or are they just taking a break and saying, hey, we'll talk again in two weeks. Go enjoy some uh, some summer, some summer vacation or whatnot. I mean, I don't know. Like. How do you have a read on the situation? Well, the two sides obviously have different ideas of what they want, whether the Canadians want to lock him up long-term and Caulfield doesn't want, or the other way around. Um, there's definitely a divide between what both sides want. Um, it's maybe a case of who's going to blink first type of thing. Um, I'm sure they're going to get it settled. Uh, I don't think the Canadians are going to – I don't think it's going to be another Kak and Yemi situation where a team comes in with an offer sheet. Um, but I think it's just one of those things. It's negotiations and business is business. And one of the strengths of Kent Hughes as a GM is that he's able to separate business and personal, not make things personal, which I think was the, one of the weaknesses of Mark Bergevin. His contract negotiations always seemed to get personal, whether it was a PK, whether it was a Radulov, you know, the end with Pacioretty, uh, Markov, go on and on and on. Uh, it always seemed to end ugly. So, um, you know, Coffee said he wants to stay in Montreal. The Canes have said they want to keep him here. And and Kent Hughes might also be looking to see what I'm sure he has plans for the draft. He's you know, he said he'll be active, he's gonna try and make trades. Um, I think the signing of Coffee will probably come after July first, because I think they want to get through the draft, see what they get in the draft, what deals they might do, see who they get in free agency or who they can get in free agency July first, and then figure out maybe they can go more towards what Caulfield and his agent are looking for. Uh, and, and at that point, I think we'll get a contract settled. But I, I'm, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that's going to get done. It's just a question of when right now. 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think it, I think it's going to get done. It's I think that's the worrisome part for Canadians fans uh, when looking at this situation is just you know if Kok, if the Kakanyemi offer sheet had never happened. Mm-hmm. I don't think Canadians fans are sweating this, but I think that's like a pressing yeah. point. Uh, and offer, sheet, offer sheets are so rare in the NHL. I mean, it hardly ever happens. But, you know, Cole Coffey is an interesting guy, though. It's, I mean, uh, it's like, I'm sure there'd be teams out there who might be interested in making one just because of, uh, you know, goal scorers don't grow on trees. And this guy uh, is a natural-born goal scorer. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because when you think of – when at least when I think of offer sheets – I don't really see the guys like a Cole Caulfield or, you know, to go move it back like a Sebastian Ajo to be the prime candidates for uh, you don't want the top end guys because you're giving away a lot. And chances are at the dollar figure that you're going to be offer sheeting this player for, it's probably worth the contract. If it's a million, two million dollars over market, big deal. It's not going to set your team back. You can find that money elsewhere. Uh, you know, it's really those guys like a cock and Yemi that could really throw a wrench into your plans. If a team just says, Hey, I'm, we're going to throw $6 million at this $3 million player. You yeah. know, there, there's a big, there's a big discrepancy between three and $6 million. Then I find there's yeah. a, you know, let's just say seven and 10, you know, yeah. that's a big, that's a big jump in $3 million, but just because of the value. So I, I would, if I was a Canadians fan and, you know, I, I, maybe take solace in that, that like maybe the top end guys aren't exactly the prime candidates to be the offer sheet candidates. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a column last week, I think it was about coffee, you know, the, the players who were drafted around the first round the year he was drafted and have produced sort of similar to him. They're all signing for about 7 million a year. And that seems to be sort of the reasonable price for a player like him at this point in his career. The thing working against him though, he's never played a full 82 game NHL season. And he got hurt last year after playing 46 games. I mean, he was on pace to score 46 goals, maybe become the first Canadiens 50 goal scorer since Stefan Riche, but it didn't happen, right? He got hurt. And he's a little guy, and you wonder if he's going to get hurt again. And uh, maybe Ken Hughes and uh, Canadiens management, Jeff Gordon, are, are wondering that also. So that's the thing that's sort of, you know, the, the sample size for Caulfield isn't that huge um, from the Canadiens standpoint and from another team standpoint. Like, was another team going to make, make him a $9 million a year offer sheet? For a guy who's never played more than you know, 67 games in the NHL, I don't know. You know, maybe. But um, also, I think if there is an offer sheet, uh, whatever it would be, I think the Canadians would match it. Um, you know, the offer sheet for Kotkaniemi was uh, you no. Know, they well, I mean, Carolina's defense. They, they took they overpaid him big time for one year to get him. Yeah, uh, hoping that in the future would pay off, and they've signed him now to that seven-year contract. That can, like takes like four million a year. And yeah, if he so does, four, four and a half. Yeah, and if he does turn into a, a number two center on the team, that's going to be a hell of a deal. They took a gamble. Um, would a team be willing to take a gamble on Caulfield for you know ten million or nine million for one year? Maybe, but I, I sort of doubt it. And uh, the thing with Kent Hughes, the fact he was an agent. Uh, he has a lot of friends around the NHL, agents, for players that he used to represent. He'll have a pretty good idea of what's going on and what the interest might be from other teams uh, in Caulfield. Um, but it is a little bit so. I mean, I thought they were going to announce a contract the last day when they were cleaning out their lockers after the uh, the season ended. I figured that would have been the perfect timing. And uh, when Caulfield was asked about, you know, if he has a new contract, he went, nope. Uh, sort of sense of disappointment there. Um, but again, I think, you know, Jeff Molson spoke with the media a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, it's going to get done. Uh, don't worry about it. Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon are handling it and are got it under control. Um, 
so we'll see. I mean, as I said, I, I, right now, if I was a betting man, I would say probably either between the draft and free agency or just after free agency, they'll have an announcement for a new contract for them. Yeah. And, and, you know, the big benefit, you know, to uh, it's not really a knock. I, I, it's not a knock on Mark Bergevin, you know, per se, like him, like him as the guy, but you know, the big benefit of having a guy like Kent Hughes, uh, you know, being a former agent is that this guy has been negotiating contracts for <laughs> God knows how long. Yeah. Versus, you know, a, a guy who played, you know, most GMs is just a guy who happened to have played in the NHL and he happens to be good at one thing, you know, be it pro scouting or, you know, mm-hmm. player relationships, uh, you know, whatever it may be. So, um, well, well Bergeron's weakness, I said, was making things personal. There's these, you know, there's reports going on that the Maple Leafs are going to interview Bergeron for their vacant GM job. And I responded mm-hmm. to someone on Twitter earlier today, if they do hire, if the Leafs do hire him, they better have somebody else negotiate contracts because that's, you know, Bergeron has some strengths, uh, but that was his biggest weakness. And uh, as I said, it got personal and it got ugly. I mean, I've, I've said, you know, Mark Bergeron GM the same way he played. You slash mm-hmm. me, I'm going to cross check you in the face type of thing. You know, that's how he was a rugged defenseman. Who, that's how he survived in the NHL. He was a tough guy and uh, he battled and fought and hacked and whacked and he GM the same way. You can't do that. Like you can't do that. You're running a business here. You're not not an athlete anymore. And Bergeron wasn't able to separate being a player from being a, a general manager and nego- running a you know a billion dollar company and negotiating contracts. Whereas Kent Hughes is more of a businessman and has more of a businessman's approach. And you know I've, I've said this before. Just look at the way he handled the Jeff Petrie situation when Petrie wanted out of town. He said, you know, we're going to look to trade him. We understand he doesn't want to be here. His family doesn't want to be here, but we're not going to give him away. If we get a trade that we think will make the Canadians better, we'll do it. And they got a trade that did make the Canadians better with Mike Matheson, and he did it. But it never got ugly. It never got personal. It wasn't uh, – uh, never said anything bad about Jeff Petrie, and, and it ended am- amicably. And that gets around the NHL too. You know, when, when players are treated well, uh, it gets around the NHL. I mean, one of the reasons in Calgary that no, everybody wanted out, or a lot of guys wanted out, nobody wanted to go there, was Daryl Sutter as a coach, right? That old-school coach mentality. It doesn't work today with today's players wasn't a fun place to be. And when Craig Conway was named the new GM this week, one of the things he said is we want to make the rink a fun place to come again. And that's what Marty St. Louis was able to do with the Canadians as a coach. Uh, he made it fun for the players to come to work. And, and whatever job you do, if you're having, if you're, if going to work, if your work environment is a fun place to be, you're probably going to be more productive and you're going to work harder. Uh, you know, the days of, uh, of, you know, NHL GMs and coaches telling players, you know, Craig Conway had a great line. He said, you know, when I used to play, the coach told you to do it and you just did it. Now the players ask why. They want to know why they want you to do that way. So you need somebody who can communicate uh, and can't use one of his best one of his best qualities and one of Marty St. Louis' best qualities is their avail, avail, ability to communicate. And uh, I think that was one of the weaknesses of Mark Bergley, especially when it came to negotiating contracts. Well, that's uh, the benefit of having someone, you know, working in business and dealing with mm-hmm. many different types of GMs and having uh, many different types of clients available to him. So, uh, yeah, I, I again, just um, I don't see it getting personal. I again, just for, for Canadians fans, that's just breathe a sigh of relief, have a little bit of patience. You know, hey, you're you're dealing with a two three year rebuild right now. You can, uh, you know, what's uh, that's three years of hockey. What's a couple months at a contract negotiation? And, and the salary cap. I mean, as I said, I mean, he's got to sign. Does he want to sign Montembeau to an extension now? 
Uh, he's got one year left in his contract. He's got like how much, what free agents are going to be available that might want to come here? How much are they going to cost? Uh, so managing the salary cap is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing right now for a GM is, is managing that cap. And, um, you know, for Kent Hughes, I'm sure he's taking his time. One of the, one of the big reasons he's taking his time is he wants to see how much he can afford to pay Cole Caulfield and for what length while managing the salary cap moving forward. So we're going to move, uh, I mean, for, uh, off from the uh, current Habs. We're going to, you know, it, it's just, I hate, I've, you know, listen, Tony spoke about this last night with George Iraq, and I, I hate bringing these things up, but I feel like it's very important to be brought up. Um, just these situations that keep arising in hockey with hockey people. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to leave it at that. Sammy and uh, Sammy, just uh, roll the clip, please. As a, as a 20 year old, I would probably never put, myself in that situation that Kyle was in. I would never would have. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, you can say, I can say that, but obviously I don't know what was going on with Kyle or, or, or anything going on in his head, but he put himself in a bad situation. So that, that clip made its rounds as uh, you know, Andrew Shaw was a guest on uh, knuckles podcast. It, it's just really to me, you want to talk like anytime you think hockey has made a step forward, it's like they take 20 steps back and the hits just keep on coming. I feel like from a PR standpoint, the NHL just like couldn't have had a worse year, especially with all the, uh, you know, with all the players, two of which who are in the Stanley, going to be in the Stanley Cup final, refusing to wear hockey is for everyone jerseys. And uh, now you have Andrew Shaw, you know, basically just excusing what ha- or you know justifying what happened to Kyle Beach uh, back in 2010 as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks? Uh, it's just really just shameful. Doesn't even describe it. You know, I, I tweeted out. I'm gonna give out give everyone the PG version right now. Uh, the real version is on my Twitter where I said, you know, call a type of comment coming like that from Andrew Shaw, like calling him a piece of crap is like an it's like insulting crap. It's really just I was disgusted with that. Do you have any uh, reaction to that? Well, hockey culture is long, long ingrained, and it's not. You know, they're trying to change it, and it's not going to change quickly. It's going to take. Uh, you know, you look at these stories coming out of the Quebec Junior Hockey League now. All these lawsuits about all these uh, hazing incidents and whatnot that went on for years and years and years while people watched. And it's going to be. Uh, it's one of those things that they're trying to change it. Uh, it's going to be the newer generation of players that are going to change it or hopefully change it, not the older generation. Um, guys that were playing the NHL for a long time, that's that's the way they, they see the world. And, and it, it's, it's an old school look at it, and they're, you know, that's, that's the way they are, and it's going to be less likely for them to change than it is for the younger generation coming up. And hopefully, hopefully it will change, but it's not going to be easy. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, the, the pride night things as far as a simple thing like just wearing a sweater to make that community feel welcome at an arena was too much to ask for some players um you know some using religious beliefs or whatever or russian players for fear of their family but you know it was wearing a a, a sweater for 15 minutes in a warm-up in front of an arena that's three quarters empty and that was too much for some and that that just says and then other teams dropped their entire pride night things because of a couple of players so it's gonna you know it's it's gonna hockey culture hopefully it will change but it's not gonna change overnight and i think that's just another example of how it's uh, it's a long road to go ahead 
You know, we we've had uh we've had the last time we had a conversation like this was when uh Eric Stahl, you know, refused to wear his pride mm-hmm. jersey or the Florida Panthers pride jersey or take part in the warm-up, whatever mm-hmm. the case was. Um and, and you brought something up that was, you know, kind of a glimmer of hope and you know, and it just got it got brought to the front of my mind because you said it's up to the newer generation of players, and, and I agree with you, which is that you know, it was Pierre Lebrun who wrote in a column in the athletic mm-hmm. that uh, you know you got to focus on the 99% of good people, not the 1% of people who hold such views. And you know what, what better person to, you know, just, it just got popped into my head right now because Andrew Shaw was actually a spokesperson or the face Mm -hmm. of hockey is for everyone after calling someone a slur. Um, What better person would it, would, would it be, especially new generation of player, you know, to be the face of that movement would be Jordan Harris. Just, you know, after what happened, you know, he was asked about it uh, back in, I forget what month it was, but with the Florida Panthers and Eric mm-hmm. Stahl, you know, he, he spoke his mind. He just flat out yeah. said how he believed it and how it was. And just, you know, I, I think he would be a great candidate for that role. He would. And I mean, Jordan Harris is a, a black player in a white hockey world. I mean, he's experienced the, uh, hasn't been an easy road for him either. And, you know, we're talking about this uh, pride night and welcoming people. I mean, today, uh, Mary Philip Poulain announced her engagement to her Team Canada teammate, Laura Stacy. Do you not want to make Mary Philip Poulain feel welcome in a hockey rink? You know, it's like, it's, it's <laughs> like just like this is the greatest female hockey player, arguably, of all time. Uh, you know, Captain uh, Clutch. Uh, a fantastic hockey player, a great woman. Um, you know, you're not, should she, people wearing a, wearing a sweater to make her and people of that community feel welcome in a rink is too much to ask. It's hard for me to understand in this day and age, but in 2023, mm-hmm. but hockey culture is an old boys, old school culture. And uh, as I said, you know, these junior stories about these hazing incidents, you're reading it, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if you have a, a teenage son, why would you let him go play junior hockey? You know, why would you put him in that environment? You know, kids are 16, 17 years old when they go there. They're moving away from home. They're living with billet families. You're sort of trusting that the coaches and the GMs of these teams are going to take care of your teenage son. And then you hear these horrible stories that are, are happening over and over and over while, you know, in all these reports that the coaches and the GMs or whatever watched. Um, so it's, it, again, it's, it's, it's going to take a long time for, for this to change. Um, and Jordan Harris, I mean, Jordan Harris, and I think I've said this when I've been on the podcast with you before is one of the nicest kids I have ever met, not just in sports, anywhere, nice, polite, smart, thoughtful, um, just a really, really good kid, like really well brought up. You can tell his parents did a really good job. You know, a kid who wanted to stay in university for all four years because he wanted to experience it. He wanted to get his degree. It wasn't just get to the NHL and make money as quick as I can. Uh, he became captain of his team. He's a really, really good role model, not just for young hockey players, but young people in general. You know, when he deals with the media, he's always respectful. He's always polite. Um, and he's like that with everybody. I mean, I've seen him interacting with fans. I've seen him, you know, talking with fans in lobbies of hotels and that on the road. And he's just, he's just a really, really nice kid and he gets it. And to me, yeah, he would be a perfect spokesman if the Canes were looking for a spokesman, uh, for someone like that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's he, he's a bre- really breath of fresh air, uh, in the hockey culture. As I said, it's going to take, it's, it's, it's guys like Jordan Harris, that younger generation that are going to change things or hopefully be able to change things moving forward. 
Yeah, I just hope we see more players like him speak out when these things happen. You know, if players are asked about it, just I know it's easy and, you know, you don't want to always insert yourself. And that's not necessarily a hockey culture thing to just like sometimes just give a political answer. But it's easier not to speak out. It's easier. It's easier. Yeah, exactly. They won't comment or they'll just start talking cliches. But Jordan Harris was very straightforward with how he felt. Well, that's it. Exactly. And, and, you know, some players, you know, you can't really blame them for not speaking out. We, we don't know what the power dynamics are that may be in a locker room, but it's, it's very, very encouraging to see, you know, someone speak out and especially as young as Jordan Harris, you know, you'd have to think that that, that's a, that's a sign of things to come. Well, one of the the sort of refreshing things about covering the Canadians last season, you know, it was a, it's a new locker room, right? Shea Weber's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carey Price is gone. They took up a lot of space. They were, you know, they were the, the key guys in the locker room. And then, you know, Nick Suzuki coming in as the youngest captain in Canadians history. But these young kids, they're just, they're, they're fun. To, like, they're nice kids to be around. Like, they're really, there's, I can't, they're, none of them act like jerks. None of them are, are they're polite. They, they seem to get how fortunate they are to be in the position they are. Um, and it's been nice, you know, as somebody who, you know, I've got a son who's 22, who's about the same age as these players, and just watching the way they act and they handle themselves, it's really been refreshing. There's a bunch of nice kids on this team who handle themselves, from at least from what we see mm-hmm. uh, in the locker room, and, um, you know, Nick Suzuki and, and, and Caulfield. Caulfield's so good with kids and fans and, and everything else, and, um, you know, it, it's been uh, Goulet, Caden Goulet's nice. They're just a... Uh, uh, Jack Eye and Godan Kovacevic, they all have different personalities. But the one thing they seem to have in common is that they just seem to be good kids. And Marty St. Louis has said he wants everyday people in the room. He wants good guys in the room. And that's mm-hmm. something that Kent Hughes, and they're looking at that moving forward. These are the kind of guys they want to have in the locker room. So I think the Canadians moving forward are going to have a modern type NHL locker room. And Jordan Harris is one example of that. So let's uh, let's move off of that now. Uh, let's let's move into the uh, NHL playoffs because when the Panthers, in amazing fashion, just eliminated the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, who we mentioned previously <laughs> on this podcast, um, I one thing popped into my head when I got texted this stat by a buddy. Uh, he saw. I don't know if he was paying attention on the broadcast uh, because I was just freaking out when uh, Matthew Kachuk scored that goal. But if they mentioned it on the broadcast, whatever. He texted me, the Carolina Hurricanes have lost 12 conference finals games in a row. That's three sweeps in a row. Now, obviously the streak had ended, um, you know, this year. But the Toronto Maple Leafs hadn't made it past the first round in 19 straight years. What do you think as a fan is more painful to experience? Um, I would say not winning, winning one series in 19 years. I mean, these are hurricanes. The hurricane fans have had a lot to cheer about, a lot to get excited about. It's a fun place to watch a hockey game. They've got a great tailgate thing going outside there. Uh, the arena's right beside the college football stadium. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that would be, I mean, Leaf fans, it's got, I mean, it's got to be painful being a Leaf fan. I mean, it's year, every year, this is the year and every year this is an, and, you know, I remember last year when they were up. 3-1 on Tampa and uh, Lee fans on Twitter and I tweeted a couple of times it's not over yet and yeah. they jump all oh, it's over it's like this Tampa team isn't dead until you step on their throat and you know 
put a dagger through their heart and uh sure enough they blew it <coughs> again for the second year in a row um so no i think being a leaf fan would be a lot more painful than being a carolina hurricanes fan the hurricanes fans have had a lot to cheer about uh, you know, and you got to remember too, and they were missing some key guys this year. You know, Brindamore mentioned that. I mean, Master Pass already played what five games for them this year, I think. It's one of their key off-season acquisitions. So, um, for her, yeah, I mean, Canadians fans, I think, would be happy if uh, they'd had the success the Hurricanes have had recently, getting to you know conference finals and whatnot. I mean, the Canes did make it to the Stanley Cup final uh, a couple of years ago, but um, no, I think I, I can't imagine. There's very. Uh, until the Chicago Cubs finally won a World Series, I can't think of any other fan base that must be more painful <laughs> to be a fan of than uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. So, you know, I got a lot of friends who live in Toronto, but some of them are Leaf fans. And in Toronto, either people love the Leafs or they hate the Leafs, right? So, uh, uh, but uh, I can't imagine how painful it must be being a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. Yeah, neither could I. But I mean, it's just when I heard that stat, I'm like thinking to myself, I'm thinking, you know, when I was younger and I'm like, you know, diehard bleeding red, white, and blue. And I'm, and I'm like, when the Canadians made it to the conference finals, uh, they, before they made it to the Stanley cup final, they did it. They made it to the conference final twice in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, against the, the, the first time was the Philadelphia flyers, uh, in 2010. Um, mm -hmm. and then the second time was that year that, you know, Carrie price went down with the injury and, I, I remember watching the uh, the the series against the or where I, where I was for Game Six against the Rangers. I was in the Bell Center, even though the game was in New York. I was at the watch party, and when they lost, uh, you know, sixteen or seventeen year old me who didn't know how to control his emotions uh, sat there in his chair after the final buzzer went, and I cried. You know, so I'm just thinking, <laughs> I'm just thinking like, um, because the, the, the point I'm making is like the further you go in the playoffs as a fan, the more yeah. you start to believe. So like, yeah, I don't know, it, like you can't even win but, one game in the conference finals. But then you look back though, if you're a fan, it's uh, the good times you had or the fun it was getting to that point. You know, I mean, I've told you this before, I think, you know, my five years in high school, the Canes won four Stanley Cups. It was an annual thing. You skipped school one day in June and you went to watch the Stanley Cup parade. It was like, you know, you know, if you miss one year, you'll go the next year. Time, times have obviously changed. But, uh, and the thing with the Leafs now, I mean, they finally win one series, right? Everybody in Toronto is going crazy. We want Florida. We want Florida. Oh, my God. And then they lose, not only did they lose to Florida, and this whole fiasco with Dubas, it's like, this is like, what a disaster. It's, it's just... How they could not have screwed this up anymore. Like, you know, okay, so, you know, they obviously didn't accomplish much with Dubas. A great regular season. He built right. an, a team based on analytics. It was amazing in the regular season, and those analytics didn't work in the playoffs. You know, they just, they, when the going got tough, they couldn't, they weren't tough enough. So, okay, it didn't work. So you got to change the GM, fine. You know, if they just said we're changing the GM, uh, we're taking a new approach, a new vision, perfect. It would have all been good. But no, that couldn't be that simple, right? It had to be, we, first we want to keep him, and then, well, he had the news conference and we didn't want him to, and now we don't know if he really wants to be, and now we don't really want to keep him. But okay, we will keep him, but now he wants to renegotiate his contract. Okay, so we're not going to keep him. Like, what a total mess. What a you-know-what show this is. And it's, oh, it's yeah. I mean, it's laughable. Like, how Brandon Shannon, like, I don't know how Brandon Shanahan's keeping his job through this. Because, like, he's the guy, like, how did he allow right. this to happen? How did he let it become such a mess that that whatever personal conflict there was or whatever happened between him and Dubas? I and mean, this is just, it's, it's, 
it's hard to believe that you know a, a, a billion dollar companies are are run like this. You know, we're talking before. Now, Brandon Shanahan is another former player who became an executive who is now running a billion dollar business. He's not he's not a business like he doesn't have a businessman's mentality. He's a hockey player mentality. And again, it seems to be something similar to what happened. What I was talking about Bergeron before. It's like letting emotions sort of dictate what you do instead of just making business decisions. And this was just what, I mean, as I said, watching it much as I find it fascinating. I mean, it's just, it's, it's laughable in some ways, how they managed to turn the positive positivity from a first round playoff win to just a total, total disaster right now, you know, going into the draft, they don't have a GM. Uh, we don't know who the coach is going to be. The players don't know what's going on. Uh, I think it's Austin Matthews has a no trade clause. It kicks in yeah. July 1st. Yeah. They got to decide if they're going to trade him or not. Who's going to make that decision? Um, to me, I don't know how Brandon Shanahan survives this or will survive this. And uh, But it's, it's it's just a mess. So more pain for Toronto Maple Leaf fans. Well, it's well that you know you you said it yourself. Like it, it's amazing to me that Shanahan is able to walk away right now and still be employed yeah. by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like he was appointed. I, I was I was looking it up. He was appointed uh, just over nine years, nine years and one month ago yeah. today, as yeah. uh, president of Hockey Ops. Just he's gone through I don't know how many GMs, how many coaches he's been through. You know, well, this was like, the last year of them paying Mike Babcock six point five million not to coach. I think it's what three years. Well, it's like almost, they paid him almost twenty million dollars not to coach. That's not a good business move. You know, that's, no, it's not. I mean, and, from a business like, standpoint, it's just it's crazy because this guy was appointed nine years ago, has absolutely nothing to show for it, mm -hmm. and like it, it's you know if, if it's going to start top down, you go top down because you know. Brendan Shanahan ultimately gave Kyle Dubas the keys to do whatever he wants with the franchise. Um, so it didn't work. That's his second GM out the door. How yeah. many GMs do you get? What's the leeway here? Because it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, and, and, and now yeah, just, they went all in, they went all in on analytics with Dubas. And now if they're yeah. interviewing Bergevin, so now what, now they're going to go back to an old school GM who like what, what, path that you're taking you know somebody i know in the hockey world is well connected and knows a bit about what's going on in toronto uh you know basically you know the, the team was built in analytics and it's all offense 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 right uh almost like playing a video game uh which is great and it works in the regular season the leafs are an amazing regular season team but then when you get to the playoffs something someone's gonna punch you in the face and you got to punch them back yeah, you know, it's like the playoffs is you know, it's, it's a totally different brand of hockey. Joel Edmondson told me he said it's the NHL on steroids in the playoffs, and they just weren't built for that. So okay, so they weren't built for that. It didn't work. So okay, you're going to get rid of the GM and move forward. Okay, but they weren't going to get rid of the GM, and then they were going to get rid of the GM, and now they're like, so what's going on? So you were going to go ahead with Kyle Dubas with this, this analytical approach and whatever that works great in the regular season, not so much in the playoffs. And we tried to change that a little bit this year, bringing in O'Reilly and some tougher guys at the, at the trade deadline. But like, what's the, whatever the personal issues might've been, if they were going to give him a contract and extend them and believe what he was doing, why should anything personal? Like, I don't get, I, I again, I just think yeah. it's, the inability of a former hockey player in a management position to separate personal and business stuff, running a billion-dollar organization. 
Let's uh, let's not let Toronto suck all the air out of the playoff <laughs> talk because, you know, like we got to throw Florida their flowers, right? I mean, it, it's it's really amazing to me just because, again, Toronto connection is that former GM of Calgary, Brad Cherliving, is rumored to be, you know, one of the top candidates for the Maple Leafs, if not the top candidate, yet – I remember last summer when he pulled off that trade, trading Matthew Kachuk and getting uh, Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger. Everyone is throwing him flowers. Wow, you got Huberto and Weger. You got Florida's number two yeah. defenseman. That's unbelievable yeah. on top of it. Yeah. And look where the Calgary Flames end up versus look where Bill Zito and the Florida Panthers are. Yeah. What a turn of events, twist of fate, whatever you want to call it. Um. I don't know. Like we've seen, you know, no, I don't want to call them a bad, bad team because they're clearly not a bad team, but we've seen low ranked teams. I should say, uh, make it all very far in the playoffs slash all the way to the final, uh, look no further than the Montreal Canadians in 2011. But I don't know. This team is, uh, seems very, very different from that 2011, uh, t- sorry, 2021 Habs team. Like this team is, uh, on a mission. Like to say yeah. the least. I mean, the Habs 2020 only got into the playoffs because of COVID. The same year before, they weren't. You know, Florida right. was the President's Trophy winners last season, right? There, so and and then they still made that blockbuster trade. And Calgary also got a first round pick in that trade. I remember when that trade was made. I went to Florida. Like, what is Florida doing? Like, you know, yeah. they already gave up the first round pick to the Canadians for Ben Sherrod. Now they're giving up another first round pick plus. Um, Huberto plus McKenzie. We it was like it seemed like so lopsided, and it was at I thought at the time a heck of a trade by Trelloving in Calgary because he was painted into yeah. a corner where Kachuk wanted out, and he pulled off a really good trade. And then Huberto <laughs> didn't enjoy playing for Daryl Sutter. We were talking with Daryl Sutter before, sucked the fun out of playing hockey out of Huberto. They went down, and then Matthew, I think Matthew Kachuk, it doesn't matter who he plays for, what coach, whatever, he's just. Coaches love guys like Matthew Kachuk, right? Every yeah. shift is 100% effort, and he's all, he's got so much offensive talent. He can change a game physically. He can change a game by scoring. He can change a game by making a hit. He seems to drag all his all his teammates along with him. Even though Barkov's a the captain there, I think Kachuk re- is really the leader of that team. I think he's the guy that, mm-hmm. that everybody sort of follows. And um, yeah, from so far, I mean, they went from a team that best team in the regular season, losing in the playoffs. To the GMs, you know, having the guts to make that huge trade, and as I thought it was lopsided in Calgary's favor when it was made, but I wrote another column this week about Mark Bruiser, and one of his sayings was, "There's players who get you to the playoffs, yeah. and other ones who get you through them." Matthew Kachuk does, does both, and Huberto, you know, it's really struggling in Calgary. It's going to be one of the most interesting things next season. Is going to be see how Huberto does in Calgary with whoever the new coach is. Yeah, you know, was it just was it just Daryl Sutter, who who was you know 90% responsible for the tail off there, and there's a good chance it was because a lot of the new Kadri didn't seem to enjoy playing for Sutter either. They're two big offseason acquisitions. Um, but for Matthew Kachuk, boy, I mean, you know, Bobrovsky is probably the leading candidate to win the Conn Smythe Trophy the way he's played, but I still think uh, Kachuk is the most viable player in the playoffs. I mean, he's he's just been. So good, so good, and uh, in, in so many different ways. And and kudos to the Panthers for pulling off that trade for having the courage for Zito. That that was a courageous trade he made. I mean, Huberto oh, yeah. third in scoring last season, or so, I think it was, uh, coming off of an amazing season. And maybe Zito just realized that 
Huberto's not the player who's going to get us through the playoffs after they struggled in the playoffs last season. And Matthew Kachuk is, and he put a value on that. And and there's so much, you know, the playoffs is, are, are such a different game and different animal. And, and some guys thrive in it and, and some guys don't thrive in it. And Matthew Kachuk's a guy who just really does. You know, I, I'm sure if you asked a, Toronto fan, a Boston fan, or a Carolina fan, they hate his guts. But as yeah. a neutral observer of this guy, oh, yeah. I, how could you – I tweeted it after the, after he scored that goal. Like, how could you not cheer for this guy? He is yeah. like – he's one. Of, it's one of those rare guys that, sure, he talks a lot of smack, but I wouldn't put him in the Brad Marchand kind of – rat category i put no, him more I, in the i put him more in the cory perry like oh you're really good at hockey but you also happen to be a bit of an asshole kind of thing you know on the ice and you need that you need to have that little edge to you so that we, i just i love we were talking about jordan harris before though speaking out about you know the, the pride night and hockey being open and should be open to everybody matthew kachuk did the same thing I don't know if you remember after the Stahl brothers and wouldn't wouldn't wear the the pride sweaters, and he spoke up saying that everybody's welcome in my locker room. Everybody's yeah. so he's as I said he's he's a, a leader type player. You know, it's Canadians fans can shake their heads. You know, his brother could have been a Canadian. <laughs> his brother has a lot of plays a very similar style of, of game. Brady plays a lot like Matthew does, a little, little bit more nastiness even. Yeah, uh, you know, imagine Brady Kachuk on a line with Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki for the next seven or eight years of the Canadians. That would be uh, that would be something else to watch. So it's uh, again, the playoffs are just it's such a different animal, and you need guys that are, you need size, you need you know you need some toughness. You need it's it's not all like analytics playoff. You know, I don't know if they keep different analytics. I'm not a big analytics guy. But I don't know if they keep different analytics in the playoffs or in the regular season. But it's two different games, and what works. The, the Maple Leafs are a perfect example of what works in the regular season over an 82-game season when you're not playing the same team every second night. doesn't necessarily work when you get into the playoffs and the core four players in Toronto are going up against the same guys every night who are hacking them, hitting them into the boards, maybe punching them in the mouth. Remember Kachuk? I think it was Matthews. He sort of punched him in the head a couple yeah. times and Matthews sort of looked at him like, what are you doing? Uh, no response. And... You know that's that's playoff hockey. It's it's it takes career. It takes a lot of. It's a different game, and when the going gets tough, the Leafs didn't get tough, and uh, that's why they're that's why they've won one playoff series in was it nineteen years? Yeah, nineteen years, and the Florida Panthers, who haven't been in the Stanley Cup Finals since before I was born, are uh, now there. Hopefully, I mean, listen. Hopefully, they it's it's a better series than the two conference finals we have. Hey, before I let you go, uh, Dallas, they have any shot at coming back or they uh, was last night just a, no, you know, they, flash in the past. No, I think at home, you know, the, down the line, their captain suspended. Uh, they lot to show their fans and coming out. I, I no, they won't win. Uh, you know, could they win the next game? Maybe, but they're not going to win four in a row. That's uh, that's well, that's the thing is if, if, uh, if they do, if they do win the next game, yeah. that's uh, you kind of you kind of clench your uh, behind a little bit if you're Vegas, you know. You yeah. Start overthinking because really Dallas has no none of the pressure. I mean, I know that's a cliche in and itself, yeah. but at this point, you know, you've kind if you kind of say, ah, whatever, we're just going to give it our best shot. You're really not playing with playing with much to lose. 
No, and they're and again they're missing Jordy. They're missing Ban, one of their you know their key players. Yeah. Who for I, I was kudos. To, you know I, I'm a real critic of George Peros and the NHL player yeah. safety department, but I think they got it right on this one uh, with the two game suspension. That was and then you know Ben's excuse. Oh, I you know it's too bad. I when I accidentally fell, uh, my stick landed on his head. Like come on, you know yeah, it's could on. not have been a more a more <clears throat> obvious oh. act. And if that was his excuse. To the NHL player safety with the board, that might have been another reason why they gave him two games. Just because, come on, yeah. no, really? <laughs> no, he tried to cross check the guy's head into the ice on purpose. And, you know. Anyway, yeah. but, uh, but, and uh, you know what? Uh, two game suspension, but really, like it was a three game because it happened right at the beginning of the game. So yeah, and you know, they it say, happens I mean, at the end. The saying is a playoff suspension, like one playoff game equals two regular season games. That's sort of the way player safety yeah looks at it. So that you know, looking at four game suspension plus. He missed almost the whole game. So it's like a five-game suspension, if you if you believe in that, you know, math that uh, apparently they use. So uh, it was a, a big enough suspension to have an impact on the series, and it should. <clears throat> you know, it should. It was to me, any deliberate attempt to injure has to be a minimum of a two-game suspension, and that was a deliberate attempt to injure a guy. That's exactly what it was. It was nothing. It was not a hockey play. It was not a hard, clean hit. It was I'm going to try and hurt this guy. And he tried to, and uh, and so often, <clears throat> also one of the reasons I'm so critical of player safety. So often, their rulings are based on the result, not the act. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if the player's not hurt, oh, it's okay, nothing happened. And if he is hurt, okay, then we'll suspend. It shouldn't be that. You know, it should be the the act, not the not the result. So even though the player wasn't injured on on the attempt to injure, the attempt to injure was there without a doubt, and it deserved at least the two game suspension. So this one. Uh, I'll, you know, George Paros and his guys got it right, I think. Yeah, and you know what? I think they may have realized because we all know, like, the the NHL officiating, ha- again, just hasn't been up to no. par in the playoffs. I mean, it kind of drops off significantly in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but just that that's what happens. You know, a play like what Jamie Benn did happens when refs are not policing the game properly. Yeah. Players feel like they could do whatever the hell they want, and then they do it, you know? So. Yeah. That's and why that, too, I, th- I feel like that was the response by George Paris. Okay, if the refs aren't going to police this game, we are. Well, the thing too, Stanley Cup playoffs get more exposure on American TV than the regular season by a lot. Mm. And if they let that go without a suspension, and American ESPN or other networks are showing that and saying this doesn't even get a suspension, people who are yeah. not hockey fans in the US or borderline hockey fans in the US are looking at that and going, what a joke. What kind of sport is this? You know, the guy who does yeah. that to a guy and they don't even, there's no suspension type of thing. And it's, uh, I, I wonder if that, how much that might have factored into it also, because it was well, along, along with Ben's uh, excuse, I accidentally fell on him with my stick on his head. That That's one, you know what? That's, it's one of the better ones. Like you got to respect a guy who could go out there with a straight face and say that. I kind of looked like he even knew he was lying through his teeth. Um, but hey, I mean that's that's commitment to that bit at the very least. The hockey equivalent of the dog ate my homework, right? It was uh, yeah, exactly. Like, what would you change? Well, I would change. I wouldn't. Uh, when I accidentally fell, I would have wished that my stick didn't land on his head. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Stu, uh, I wouldn't change anything about this edition of the of the Sick Podcast. This has been great. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, as you usually do on Friday nights. And uh, hopefully, we will talk to you next week. All right, my pleasure. All right. 
There goes Stu Cowan. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in to this episode of the Sick Podcast on Friday night. Uh, one more time, Sammy, just throw up the graphic for the event. I want to mention it again. Is on Sunday, May 28th at Sports La Tornade. Uh, go meet Sports La Tornade, of course, a proud sponsor of uh, the Sick Podcast. You can go meet Caden Gooley, Yvonne Lambert, and the rest of the sick team from 1 to 3 p.m. Throw up the uh throw up the address for uh those who haven't for those who haven't seen it before or haven't been before. So yeah, uh, six sports cards, which is one of our segments, is presented by Sports La Tornade. Uh sports cards, collectibles, and more. Visit the store at 1 Avenue de la Fabrique in Vaudreuil. Dorian. All right. That's it for me. Thank you all for spending your Friday night with me. Go enjoy the beautiful weather this weekend. If you're in Montreal, I don't know where the weather is like elsewhere, but in Montreal, it's beautiful. And I intend on doing that starting tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature.